And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is December the 4th, 338th day of the year. 27 days remain to the years over with. National holidays and observances. It's National Sock Day. Go sock somebody. International Cheetah Day. Cabernet Franc Day. National Dice Day. World Wildlife Conservation Day. Wear Brown Shoes Day. Santa's List Day. National Cookie Day. Walt Disney Day. And there may not be many more Walt Disney Days. Bob Iger just stepped down because... He's absolutely destroyed the company, uh, which just goes to prove go woke, go broke. Brew Christmas, where they um, honor first responders. Gift of Sight Month, Operation Santa Paws, Worldwide Food Service Safety Month, National Write a Business Plan Month, National Time Month. National Pair Month, Universal Human Rights Month. Not a lot of human rights uh, flowing um, this year at this time. The war is still going on in Ukraine. It's still going on in uh, Palestine. Well, in 771 A.D., Australian king... Carloman I dies, leaving his brother Charlemagne as sole king of the Frankish kingdom. 963, the, the lay papal Otary is elected pope, takes the name Leo VIII, being consecrated December 6th after ordination. 1110, an army led by Baldwin I of Jerusalem and Sigurd the Crusader of Norway captures Sidon at the end of the First Crusade. The First Crusade was the only crusade that was actually successful. And Baldwin I became, uh, I think he called himself Guardian of the Sepulchre. But uh, he actually was king of a Latin kingdom called Jerusalem. 1259, Kings Louis IX of France and Henry III of England agreed to the Treaty of Paris, in which Henry renounces his claims to French-controlled territory on the continent of Europe including Normandy, in exchange for Lewis withdrawing his support for English rebels. 1563, the final session of the Council of Trent's held, nearly 18 years after the body held its first session, December 13, 1545. 1619, 38 colonists arrived at Berkeley 100 in Virginia. Group's charter proclaims that the day be yearly and perpetually kept holy as a day of thanksgiving to Almighty God. That's December the 4th, don't you know? Uh, Berkeley, Berkeley 100 was a Virginia colony founded, as I said, in 1619. It comprised 8,000 acres of the north bank of the James River. Near Herring Creek in an area now known as Charles City County, Virginia, site of an early documented Thanksgiving when the settlers landed in what was later became the United States. 1622, following the Indian Massacre of 1622, the colony was for a time abandoned. 
uh, the mid-18th century became known as Berkeley Plantation, the traditional home of the Harrison family of Virginia. 1862, and fighting in the Civil War, the area was uh, the scene of the creation and first bugle rendition of present-day taps. So it does have quite the history. Uh, 1676. The Royal Danish Army under the command of King Christian V engages the Swedish army commanded by the Swedish King Charles XI at the Battle of Lund. To this day, it's counted as the bloodiest battle of Scandinavian history and a turning point in the Scandian War. Now, for those that expect to know how things come out, uh, it was fought in an area north of the city of Lund in Scania in southern Sweden. Danish had an army of about 13,000 under the personal command of 31-year-old King Christian V of Denmark, aided by General Karl von Arsendorf. Swedish army, which numbered 8,000, was commanded by Field Marshal Simon Grundel Hemfeldt and the 21-year-old Swedish King Charles XI. It was one of the bloodiest battles and percent of casualties on both sides ever fought in Scandinavia. The, um, uh, let's see, the, see if it tells me, uh, Charles XI, two generals and three guards broke through the Danish lines to join the diminished Swedish center. Uh, while Arsendorf was still attacking the cavalry in the north, the return of the Swedish king inspired the exhausted troops who attacked the Danish forces in the back. You know, the Danes still outnumbered the Swedes by about 4,500 to 4,000. Arsendorf uh, lost the initiative after a half hour his army disintegrated. Charles XI wanted to clear the field of Danish soldiers, and the remaining Danish cavalry vanished into the night. And although General... Swigert von Bibo protected the infantry retreat. Many of the Danes were massacred until Field Marshal Helmut ordered the killing to stop the surrendering Danish and Dutch soldiers were spared. So the Swedes won the battle. 1745, Charles Edward Stuart's army reaches Derby, its furthest point during the Second Jacobite Rising. 1783, at Francis Tavern in New York City, General Washington bids farewell to his officers. 1786, Mission Santa Barbara is dedicated on the feast day of St. Barbara. Uh, 1791, the first edition of The Observer, the world's first Sunday newspaper, is published on this date. 1804, the U.S. House of Representatives adopts articles of impeachment against Supreme Court Justice Samuel Chase. 1829, in the face of fierce local opposition, British Governor General Lord William Bentinck issues a regulation declaring that anybody who abets Sati in Bengal is guilty of culpable homicide. Now, let's see. Okay. Well, what in the world?
It's basically a ritual murder. But I thought I had a um, more detailed description, but it's gone. I think that's one of the problems with having everything computerized. 1861. The 109 electors of the several states of the Confederate States of America unanimously elect Jefferson Davis as President Alexander Stevens as Vice President. 1864, American Civil War. Sherman's March to the Sea. Uh, in Waynesboro, Georgia, forces under Union General Judson Kilpatrick prevent troops led by Confederate General Joseph Wheeler from interfering with Union General William T. Sherman's campaign destroying a rod swath of the South on his march to the Atlantic Ocean from Atlanta. Uh, Wheeler commanded cavalry, and had he been able to get through the, the screen, could have done a number on uh, Sherman's troops, but they went all the way to Savannah. 1865, North Carolina ratifies the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, followed soon by Georgia, and U.S. slaves are legally free within two weeks. 1867, former Minnesota farmer Oliver Hudson Kelly founds the Order of the Patrons of Husbandry, better known today as the Grange. 1872, the crewless American brigantine Mary Celeste, drifting in the Atlantic, is discovered by the Canadian brig De Gracia. She had been abandoned for nine days, but it's only slightly damaged. Her master, Benjamin Briggs, and all nine uh, folks known to be on board the ship are never accounted for. That was Briggs, his wife and child, plus the crew. 1875, notorious New York City politician Boss Tweed escapes from prison. He's recaptured in Spain. Um, he was the political boss of Tammany Hall, Democratic Party's political machine that played a major role in the politics of 19th century New York City and New York State, for that matter. At the height of his influence, he was the third largest landowner in New York City. He was a director of the Erie Railroad, director of the 10th National Bank, director of the New York Printing Company, proprietor of the Metropolitan Hotel, stockholder in iron mines and gas companies, a board member of the Harlem Gas Light Company, a board member of the 3rd Avenue Railway Company, board member of the Brooklyn Bridge Company, and president of the Guardian Savings Bank. The... Um, he was convicted for stealing an amount estimated by an alderman committee to, uh, in 1877, be between $25 million and $45 million from New York City taxpayers. But later estimates ranged as high as $200 million. Couldn't make bail because they froze his assets. He escaped from jail once but was returned to custody. He died in the Ludlow Street Jail. He was also a member of the Oddfellows and the Masons, and he was involved in almost everything going. Well, 1881, the first edition of the Los Angeles Times is published. 1893, the first Metabolite War. Patrol of 34 British South African Company soldiers is ambushed and annihilated by more than 3,000 Metabolite warriors on the Shangani River in Metabolite land. 1906, Alpha Phi Alpha, the first intercollegiate Greek frater uh, lettered fraternity for African Americans, is founded at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. 1909, in Canadian football, the first Grey Cup game is played on this date. 
University of Toronto Varsity Blues defeat the Toronto Parkdale Canoe Club 26-6. Also saw the Montreal Canadiens Ice Hockey Club, the oldest surviving professional hockey franchise in the world, be founded as a charter member of the National Hockey Association on this date. 1917, after drafting a Declaration of Independence, the Finnish Senate, headed by P.E. Zvinhufdum, submitted to the Parliament of Finland a proposal for the form of government of the Republic of Finland and issued a communication to Parliament declaring independence of Finland. 1918, President Woodrow Wilson sails for the World War I peace talks at Versailles. Becomes the first U.S. president to travel to Europe while in office. 1919, Ukrainian War of Independence. The Polanski conspiracy is initiated with an attempt to assassinate the high command of the Revolutionary Insurgent Army of Ukraine. The Polanski conspiracy, also known as the Polanski plot or the Polanski affair, was an attempt by Ukrainian Bolsheviks to overthrow the Magnovashina during the autumn of 1919. Prepared by the Revolutionary Committee of Oleksandrik and Catherine Nosilov, the plan was to assassinate Nestor Makhno and other members of the insurgent high command, following which pro-Bolshevik units of the insurgent army would seize power in the region. However, the plot was uncovered and suppressed by the uh, Ukrainian uh, intelligence division. Uh, Yevgeny Polanski and other members of the conspiracy were arrested and sentenced to execution by firing squad. The uh, planned coup and the fallout that resulted from its suppression exacerbated the deteriorating relations between the, the Magnovist and the Bolsheviks, which culminated in the outbreak of an all-out war between them in January of 1920. Now, during the early months of the Ukrainian Civil War, the anarchist Black Guards and the Communist Red Guards fought side-by-side side against the forces of Ukrainian nationalism. They were determined it was going to be communist or Bolshevik in those days. 1928, Cosmo Gordon Lang's enthroned as the Archbishop of Canterbury, first bachelor to be appointed to that position in 150 years. 1939, World War II, HMS Nelson is struck by a mine, which was laid by the U-31 off the Scottish coast and was laid up for repairs till August of 1940. 1942, World War II, Carlson's patrol during the Guadalcanal campaign ends. It's also known as the Long Patrol or Carson's Long Patrol. It was an operation by the 2nd Marine Raider Battalion under the command of Evans Carlson during the Guadalcanal campaign against the Imperial Japanese Army. In the operation, the uh, Second Raiders attacked forces under the command of Toshinari Soju, which were escaping from an attempted encirclement in the Kali Point area on Guadalcanal and attempted to rejoin under Japanese Army units on the opposite side of the U.S. Lunga perimeter. In a series of small engagements over 29 days, the Second Raiders killed almost 500 Japanese soldiers and suffered 16 casualties of their own, although many of the uh, the members of this, um, the second Raiders, um, were affected by disease. They also captured a Japanese field gun that was harassing Henderson Field. 
it was um, quite the uh, undertaking. 1943, World War II in Yugoslavia, resistance leader Marcel Josip Broz Tito proclaims a provisional democratic Yugoslav government in exile. 1943, World War II, President Franklin D. Roosevelt closes down the Works Progress Administration because of the high levels of wartime employment in the U.S. 1945, by a vote of 65-7, the U.S. Senate approves U.S. participation in the United Nations. The U.N. had been established October 24, 1945. 1948, Chinese Civil War, the SS Kiangya, carrying nationalist refugees from Shanghai, explodes on the uh, Hongpu River. The... Um, this was a, a Chinese passenger steamship destroyed in a mysterious explosion near the mouth of the Hangpu River, 50 miles north of Shanghai. Record was clear from the channel in 1956, and the hull refurbished and re service. Renamed the SS Dongfang Hong 8. Um, simplified. Um, It was renamed during the Cultural Revolution, retired during modernizations in 1983. It was one of eight ships operated by the Shanghai Merchants Group and a sister ship to the SS Qianqing. Time of her explosion, she was bound for Ningbo from Shanghai's uh, Salayupu Dock, packed with refugees fleeing the advancing communists. It's thought she hit a mine, possibly laid by the Imperial Japanese Navy during the Second World War. Um, nobody really knows the death toll. Her official capacity was 1,186. Manifest listed 2,150. And she's also certainly carrying many stowaways. Uh, estimated death toll of between 2,750 and 3,920, with 700 survivors being picked up by other vessels. It's the second deadliest peacetime maritime disaster in history. And it's called peacetime because it was not a declared war. 1949, Sir Duncan George Stewart's fatally stabbed by Rosalie Dobby, member, uh, leader of the uh, Rukun 13 in Cebu, Sarawak, Malaysia, during the British Crown Colony era in that date. 1950, Korean War. Jesse L. Brown, the first African-American naval aviator, is killed in action during the Battle of Chosin Reservoir. 1950, Korean War, Associated Press photographer Max Desfor photographs hundreds of Korean refugees crossing a downed bridge in a Taedong River. It was a 1951 Pulitzer Prize winner. It's called Flight of Refugees Across the Wreck Bridge in Korea. 1956, the Million Dollar Quartet, Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins, and Johnny Cash get together at Sun Studio for the first and last time. 1964, the free speech movement. Police arrest over 800 students at the University of California in Berkeley following their takeover and sit-in at the administration building in protest of the UC Regents' decision to forbid protest on UC property. 1965, launch of Gemini 7 with crew members Frank Borman and Jim Lovell. Gemini 7 spacecraft was a passive target for the First crew space rendezvous performed by the crew of Gemini 6A.
1967, Vietnam War, U.S. and South Vietnamese forces engage Viet Cong troops in the Mekong Delta. 1969, Black Panther Party members Fred Hampton and Mark Clark are shot and killed during a raid by 14 Chicago police officers. 1971, Indo-Pakistani War of 71, Indian Navy attacks the Pakistan Navy in Karachi. 1971, the PNS Ghazi, a Pakistan Navy submarine, sinks during the course of Indo-Pakistani Naval War of 1971. Also in 1971, during a concert by Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention at the Montreux Casino, an audience member fires a flare gun into the ceiling, causing a fire that destroys the venue. Rock band Deep Purple, who were there to use the casino to record their next album, witnessed the fire from their hotel. The uh, incident will be immortalized in their best-known song, Smoke on the Water. See, protesters are some of the dumbest folks who ever drew breath. It was part of a protest to fire the gun into the ceiling. But they didn't think it out, what could have happened. 1974, Martin Air Flight 138 crashes into the Satha Kanya mountain range in uh, Muscalaya, Sri Lanka, killing 191. In 1877, Jean-Badel Bokassa, president of the Central African Republic, crowns himself Emperor Bokassa I of the Central African Empire. Delusions are grander, don't you know? Also in 77, Malaysia Airline System Flight 653 is hijacked and crashes in Tanghong, Kupang, Johor, killing 100. 1978, following the murder of Mayor George Moscone, on this date, Diane Feinstein becomes San Francisco's first female mayor, went on to serve in the Senate until she died. 1979, the Hostie Fire in Hull kills three schoolboys and eventually leads police to the arrest of uh, Bruce George Peter Lee. 1981, South Africa grants independence to the Siski, or homeland. Not recognized by any government outside of South Africa. 1982, the People's Republic of China adopts its current constitution. 1983, U.S. Navy aircraft and the USS John F. Kennedy and USS Independence attack Syrian missile sites in Lebanon in response to an F-14 being fired on by an SA-7. One A-6 intruder and an A-7 Corsair is shot down. One American pilot's killed, one's rescued, and one's captured. 1984, Sri Lankan Civil War. Sri Lankan Army soldiers killed 107 to 150 civilians in Manar. 1986, the MV Amazon Venture. All tanker begins leaking oil while in the port of Savannah in the U.S., resulting in an oil spill of about 500,000 U.S. gallons. 1991, Terry Anderson's released after seven years in captivity as a hostage in Beirut. He is the last and longest-held American hostage in Lebanon. 1991, Pan American World Airways ceases its operation after 64 years. 1992, Somali Civil War. President George H.W. Bush orders 28,000 U.S. troops to Somalia in Northeast Africa. 1998, the Unity Module, the second module, the International Space Station, is launched. 
2005, tens of thousands of people in Hong Kong protest for democracy, calling the government to allow universal and equal suffrage. 2006, six black youth assault a white teenager in Jenna, Louisiana. 2014, Islamic insurgents killed three state police at a traffic circle before taking an empty school and a press house in Grozny. Ten state forces died with 28 injured in gun battles, ending with 10 insurgents killed. 2015, a firebomb is thrown into a restaurant in the Egyptian capital, Cairo. Kills 17 people. 2017, the Thomas Fire starts near Santa Paula in California. Eventually becomes the wildest wildfire in modern California history to date after burning 440 square miles in Ventura and Santa Barbara counties. Let's see. It was... It was surpassed by the Ranch Fire, part of the Mendocino Complex. It's currently the seventh largest wildfire in, northern, in modern California history. Uh, the fire was officially declared out June 1st, 2018, after more than two months in which no hotspots were detected. It destroyed 1,063 structures while damaging 280 others. It caused $2.2 billion U.S. dollars in damage including $230 million in uh, suppression costs. Well, and in 2021, Simaru on Indonesian island Java erupts, killing at least 68 people. That was a, uh, a volcano, don't you know? All right. We finished our Kennedy segment last week. And somebody made a comment to me. Too bad there's no mysteries in December. Well, that is not the case. Pull up my notes here. Well, there's been a... And the, the reading public is fickle. What may fascinate them, no end today. They could care less about tomorrow. And when something falls out of the, uh, the news, sometimes they don't get solved. But there's been a number of mysteries uh, in December. Let's start with Christmas Eve in 1945. This is the, the missing Sodder children. Five children from the Sodder family vanished and were never seen again. Now, their family home was in Fayetteville, West Virginia. And it was the site of a huge fire. And while parents George and Jenny and four of the children managed to escape the burning building, five other children were unaccounted for. And the remains were never recovered. Lewis, an eight-year-old Jenny, and five-year-old Betty. Now, the events surrounding this um, disappearance were strange and, according to many, very upsetting. A significant number of unexplained problems arose when George Sodder tried to rescue his children. His ladder was missing. 
and it was a two-story house. Windows couldn't be open, and there was no operator at the fire station on duty that night. Now, that was odd in and of itself. Now, how the fire started and what happened to the soldered children is still a mystery today. But according to several true crime podcasts, such as Case File True Crime, a possible motive relates to George's criticism of Italian leader Benito Mussolini. Now, George was an Italian migrant himself, and his opposition made him a vulnerable target to the Sicilian Mafia. Now, after the fire was put out, and while people were looking for his children, he demolished the house. Which made it impossible to determine whether his children were dead or just missing. According to Smithsonian, the surviving Sauter family believed for the rest of their lives their relatives had survived the fire. In fact, there was a billboard directed in the 50s with images of the children, and there was a reward offered for information of their recovery. And that billboard remained up until Jenny Sauter died in 1989. But there was absolutely no sign of those children. How could five children vanish out of a burning house, assuming they were there when the fire started? Then we got the murder of Paul Logan. It was December 23rd, 1993. He was at work as a Chinese food delivery driver in Black Hill County, Durham, in England. Got a call to deliver a food order to Blue House Farm. When he arrived at the farm, got the order out of the car, went up to the door, the the father of two who answered the door, uh, I'm sorry, Logan was the father of two, was told no fa- a food order had been placed by the homeowners, so they didn't want the food, so he went back to his car. Well, later that evening, the owners of the Blue House Farm called the police when they saw that the white Peugeot, the driver had come in, was still sitting in the lane to their house. When police arrived, they searched the area and uncovered Logan's body. He had been bludgeoned to death. Nothing was said about what happened to the food order. His family is still looking for answers. 2021, Northumbria Police reviewed the case, and Detective Superintendent uh, Ian Sharp told British news outlet Chronicle Live his team had interviewed 2,271 people, taken 903 statements, and followed up on the 1,796 lines of inquiry. According to Sharp, he's keeping an open mind about why the young man was killed. The murder was pre-planned, well-organized, such was extremely unlikely the killer was acting alone. Had to be two, possibly more people involved. And then one of the most famous... Christmas murders took place December, I'm sorry, excuse me, December 25th, Christmas Day, 1996. And you've heard about the case, the murder of six-year-old John Bonet Ramsey, found dead in her family's home in Boulder, Colorado. Her body was found in the basement of the house along with a ransom note seven hours after she was reported missing. Autopsy report uh, ruled her death as a homicide caused by asphyxia by strangulation associated with cranial cerebral trauma. 
First, police immediately suspected her parents, John and Patsy Ramsey, but there was insufficient evidence to charge them with any offenses, and they were cleared as suspects in 2008. The problem is it destroyed their family, their reputation, and their business. Another theory put forward by police was that an intruder had broken into the family home and committed the killing. And in 2003, DNA testing on her on uh, John Bonet's clothes did confirm they found DNA belonging to an unidentified uh, male. Now to this, and they also thought her brother may have been guilty. And he was hounded for several years. But to this day, the killer's never been found. Her death's been the subject of podcasts and documentaries and movies and TV dramas. People across the world are still trying to make sense of how this could happen to this little girl. 2006. John Mark Carr confessed in an email to killing John Bonet. But there was no evidence found linking him to the crime, so he was never charged. Death still considered a cold case and is an open investigation with the Boulder Police Department in Colorado. A lot has been said about the fact that uh, the investigation, the initial investigation was not exactly what we call thorough. Then December 18, 1996, a woman who became known as the Christmas Tree Lady was discovered dead, lying on a plastic sheet in Annandale, Virginia at the Pleasant Valley Memorial Park Cemetery. She's about 60 years old, has never been identified. Police uh, discovered beside her body a Christmas tree, a tape player, and a note that read, Deceased by own hand, prefer no autopsy, and it was signed Jane Doe. The note also requested she be cremated and included money to cover the cost of cremation. The cause of her death is ruled as asphyxiation and Investigators, based on the note, primarily believe she'd taken her own life. However, what is fascinating, for almost 20 years, <coughs> nobody came forward to identify Jane Doe or the motives behind her death. Now, early in 2023, DNA and genealogy research led to the Christmas tree lady being identified. Her name was Joyce Marilyn Meyer Summers, originally from Davenport, Iowa. Oldest of five siblings, according to DNAsolves.com. Now, at the time of her death, she hadn't been reported missing, didn't have family in the immediate area. Relatives had hired a private detective to look for her, but the detective hadn't had any success. So what led to her being found dead in that cemetery is still a mystery after all this time. How about Ed Minnie Marin? Took more than 20 years to find out what happened to the elderly couple, Ed and Minnie Marin. Christmas Eve, 1985, couple's bodies were found in Woodland after they'd been shot in the head near their home in Ethel, Washington. It wasn't until 2012 their family finally got justice and witnesses came forward with evidence. But for years, the couple's unexpected death baffled authorities. Investigation in the 2010s uh, discovered that Moran's been kidnapped by Rick Riffle and John Gregory, 
drug dealers in the local area who forced them to withdraw $8,500 in cash out of their bank accounts. They were then driven to the woods and shot in their car. Unfortunately, witnesses didn't come forward feeling retribution from the two men. But years later, Rick and John Gregory were picked up out of a lineup by witnesses who had seen him driving the Moran's car. Uh, John Gregory died before he could be arrested for the murder, but Rick Riff was charged with two counts of murder in the first degree, two counts of robbery in the second, first degree, and one count of burglary in the first degree. He's found guilty and sentenced to 103 years in prison. You know, the, part of the problem is that um, witness testimony quite often is not um, definitive. People see what they think they ought to see. But in this particular case, uh, the... um, The people responsible were convicted. And with our court system, Lord knows. Well, the the Souter children disappearance, the first one we talked about, which took place Christmas Eve, December 24th, 1945, has always puzzled true crime buffs. Um, as I said, it was Fayetteville, West Virginia. The home was occupied by George Sodder, his wife Jenny, and nine of their ten children. During the fire, George, Jenny, and four of the nine children escaped. And you would have thought, had they died in the fire, their bodies would have been found in the wreckage of the house, but they were never found. The surviving Sauter family believed for the rest of their lives that the five siblings were had somehow survived. Now they never rebuilt the house. The family converted the site into memorial garden to the missing children. In the 1950s, they seriously came to doubt the children had died. And that's when I said they put up the billboard along State Route 16 with pictures of the five. In support of their belief that the children survived, Sauters pointed to a number of unusual circumstances before and during the fire. Now, George Sauter disputed the Federal Fire Department's finding that the blaze was electrical in origin. He noted he'd had that house recently rewired and inspected. Everything was in tip-top shape. He and his wife suspected arson, leading to theories the children had been taken by the Sicilian Mafia. In retaliation for George's outspoken criticism of the fascist government in his his native Italy. State and federal efforts to investigate the case uh, came up with no new information. Family did received what may have been a picture of one of the boys as an adult during the 1960s. And the last surviving daughter, along with her their grandchildren, continued to publicize the case in the 21st century in the media and online. 
Now, George Sauter was born Giorgio Sodu in Tula, in Sardinia, Italy, 1895. Immigrated to the U.S. 13 years later with an older brother, went back home as soon as both boys had cleared customs at Ellis Island. And for the rest of his life, George refused to talk about why he left Italy, which is a uh, red flag in and of itself. Eventually found work on the railroads in Pennsylvania. He carried water and other supplies to workers. A few years later, took a more permanent work as a driver in Smithers, West Virginia. Then he started his own trucking company, initially hauling fill dirt to construction sites and later hauling coal mined in the region. Jenny Cipriani, a shopkeeper's daughter in Smithers, who'd been immigrated from Italy and her childhood herself, became George's wife. Now, they settled outside nearby Fayetteville, West Virginia, which had a large population of Italian immigrants. It was a two-story timber frame home two miles north of town. And eventually they had ten children. Now, George was known for his strong opinions, and he wasn't shy about expressing them, which alienated a lot of folks. In particular, his opposition to Benito Mussolini led to some strong arguments with other members of the immigrant community. Now, the, the last of the, of the Sauter's um, ten children, Sylvia, was born in 1942. Um, by 1942, their second oldest son, Joe, had left home to serve in the military. 1943, Mussolini was deposed and executed. But unfortunately, Joe's, um, George's criticism of Mussolini left some hard feelings. In October 1945, a visiting insurance salesman, after being rebuffed, warned George's house uh, would go up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. Referencing uh, all this to the dirtier remarks you've been making about Mussolini. The visitor to the house who allegedly came looking for work uh, took the occasion to go around to the back and warn George that a pair of fuse boxes would cause a fire someday. Which puzzled George because he just had the house rewired and inspected. Local electric company maintained whenever they were asked that the wiring was safe. In the weeks before Christmas that year, George's older son noticed a strange car parked along the main highway through town. Its occupants watching the younger Sauter children as they came back from school. Well, Sauter family celebrated on Christmas Eve in 1945. Marion, the oldest daughter who was 19, had been working at a dime store in downtown Fayetteville. And she, prized, she surprised three of her younger sisters with new toys, she bought them as gifts. Younger children were so excited about these gifts, they asked their mother if they could stay up past their normal bedtime. 10 p.m., Jenny told them they could stay up a little later as long as the two oldest boys were still awake. 14-year-old Maurice and his 9-year-old brother, Louis, remembered to put the cows in and feed the chickens before going to bed themselves. And George and the two oldest boys, John, 22, and George, Jr., 16, had... Spent the day working with their father already asleep. Well, telephone rang at 12.30 in the morning. Jenny woke and went downstairs to answer it. Caller was a woman whose voice she didn't recognize. 
asking for a name she wasn't familiar with, the sound of laughter and clinking glasses in the background. When she told the caller she'd reached the wrong number, the woman just laughed and hung up. Well, as Jenny went back to bed, she noticed the lights were still on and the curtains weren't drawn, two things that children normally did when they stayed up later than their parents. Marion had fallen asleep on the living room couch, so Jenny assumed the other children who'd stayed up later had gone back up to the attic where they slept. So she closed the curtains, turned out the lights, and went back to bed. One in the morning, Jenny was awakened by the sound of an object hitting the roo uh, house's roof with a bang and then rolling. Didn't hear anything after that, so went back to sleep. Woke up half hour later, smelled smoke, Got up and found a room that George used for his office was on fire around the telephone line in the fuse box. So Jenny woke up her husband and he woke up the older children. Both parents and four of their children, Marion, Sylvia, John, and George Jr., escaped the house. They frantically yelled to the children upstairs and they get a response. They couldn't go up after him because the, the uh, stairway was already on fire. John said in his first police interview after the fire, he went up to the attic to alert his siblings sleeping there and later changed his story. They only called up and didn't actually see him. Well, efforts to find aid and rescue the children are unexpectedly complicated. Phone didn't work, so Marion ran to a neighbor's house to call the federal fire department. Driver on a nearby road had also seen the fire and called from a nearby tavern. They couldn't reach an operator, um, and it turns out the phone line there had been cut. Either the neighbor or the passing motorist was eventually successful in reaching the fire department from another phone in the center of town. George, who was barefoot, attempted to climb the house's outside wall and broke open a window. Cut his arm in the process. He and his sons intended to use a ladder to the attic to re rescue the other children, but it was not in its usual spot and couldn't be found. Water barrel that could have been used to extinguish the fire was frozen solid. George tried to pull both of his trucks he used in his business up to the house and use them to climb up to the attic, but neither would start, despite having worked per uh, perfectly during the previous day. Frustrated, the six soldiers who'd escaped had no choice but to watch the house burn and collapse over the next 45 minutes. They assumed the other five children died in the fire. Well, the fire department, low on manpower due to the war and relying on individual firefighters to call each other, didn't respond until later that morning. Chief F.J. Morris said the next day that the only slow response was further hampered by his inability to drive the fire truck, which required for him to wait till somebody who could drive it showed up. Firefighters, one who was a brother of Jenny's, could do little but look through the ashes that were left in the Sodder's basement. By 10 in the morning, Morris told the Saunders said they couldn't find any bones, as might have been expected if the other children had been in the house as it burned. According to another account, they found a few bone fragments and internal organs, but chose not to tell the family. It's also been noted by modern fire professors their search was cursory at best. Nevertheless, Morris believed the five children unaccounted for died in the fire, suggesting it had been hot enough to burn their bodies completely. And Morris told George to leave the site undisturbed, so the State Fire Marshal's office could conduct a more thorough investigation. 
But after four days, he and his wife couldn't bear the sight anymore, so he bulldozed five feet of dirt over the site with the intention of converting it into a memorial garden for the lost children. Local coroner convened an inquest the next day, which held the fire was an accident caused by faulty wiring. Among the jurors was the man who threatened George that his house would be burned down and his children destroyed in retribution for his anti-Mussolini remarks. Death certificates for five children were issued December 30th. Local newspaper contradicted itself, stating that all the bodies had been found, and later in the same story reported only part of one body was recovered. George and Jenny were too grief-stricken to attend the funeral on January 2nd, 1946, although their surviving children did. Well, not long afterwards, they began to rebuild their lives. They began to question all the official findings about the fire. And they wondered why, if it had been caused by an electrical problem, the family's Christmas lights had remained on throughout the fire's early stages when the power should have gone out. Then they found the ladder had been missing from the side of the house on the night of the fire at the bottom of an embankment 75 feet away. A telephone repairman told the Siders the house's phone line had not been burned through in the fire but cut by somebody who had been willing and able to climb 14 feet up the pole and reach uh, two feet away from it to do, cut the wire. The man whose neighbors had been stealing a block and tackle from the property around the time of the fire was identified and arrested. He admitted to the theft and claimed he'd been the one who cut the phone line, thinking it was a power line, but denied having anything to do with the fire. However, no record identifying that suspect exists and why he would have wanted to cut any utility lines at the Sauter house while... Stealing the block and tackle had never been explained. Jenny said in 1968 if he'd cut the power line, she and her husband, along with the other four children, would never been able to get out of the house. Jenny also had trouble accepting Morris's belief that all traces of the children's body had been burned completely in the fire. Many of the household appliances had been found still recognizable in the ash, along with fragments of the tin roof. She contrasted results of the fire with a newspaper account of a similar house fire that she read about it at about the same time that killed a family of seven. Skeletal remains of all the victims reported to have been found in that particular case. Jenny burned small piles of animal bones to see if they'd be completely consumed. They never were. An employee of a local crematorium she contacted told her human bones remained even after bodies were burned at 2,000 degrees uh, Fahrenheit for two hours, longer and hotter than the, than the house fire would have been. The solder truck's failure to start was also considered. George believed it had been tampered with, maybe by the same man who stole the block and tackle and cut the phone line. However, one of George's son-in-laws told the Charleston Gazette Mail in 2013 he'd come to believe Sauter and his sons might have, and their haste to start the trucks flooded the engine. Some accounts have suggested the wrong number of phone call to the Sauter house might also have been connected to the fire. However, investigators later located the woman who'd made the call, and she confirmed it had been a wrong number dialed on her part. Well, the um, 1949 was an interesting year. George saw a magazine photo of a group of young ballet dancers in New York City, one of whom looked like his missing daughter, Betty. He drove to that girl's school where his repeated demands to see the girl... Uh, himself were refused. He also tried to interest the Federal Bureau of Investigation in investigating what he considered a kidnapping. J. Edgar Hoover himself responded to his letters and 
He said, although I'd like to be of service, the matter related appears to be local character and doesn't come within the investigative jurisdiction of this bureau. He said, if local authorities requested the bureau's assistance, he'd direct his agents to assist, but uh, Fayetteville police and fire departments refused to ask the FBI to get involved. In August of 49, George was able to persuade Oscar Hunter, a Washington, D.C. pathologist, to supervise a new search through the dirt at the house site. After a thorough search, artifacts, including a dictionary that had belonged to the children, some coins were found. Some small bone fragments were unearthed, determined to have been human vertebrae. Bone fragments were sent to Marshall Newman, a specialist at Smithsonian Institution. They'll confirm to be lumbar vertebrae from the same person. Since the transverse recesses are fused, the age of this individual should have been between 16 or 17. The top limit of age would be 22. So given this age range, it's not likely the bones are from any of the five missing children since the oldest, Maurice, was 14 at the time. Newman added the bones show no sign of exposure to flame. Further, he agreed it was very strange that those bones were the only ones found since a wood fire of such short duration should have left full skeletons of the children behind. Proper concluded the vertebrae had instead most likely come from the dirt George used to bulldoze the site. Later, Tinsley supposedly confirmed the bone fragments came from a cemetery nearby Mount Hope. They couldn't explain why they'd been taken from there or how they came to be at the fire site. Well, they never gave up hope. Um, George continued to cover the country, following up on leads, till he died in 1969. Jenny and her surviving children, except John, who never talked about the night of the fire, except to say the family should accept what happened and move on, continued to seek answers about the missing children's fate. After George's death, Jenny stayed in the family home, putting up fencing around it and adding additional rooms. For the rest of her life, she wore black in mourning, tended a garden at the site of the former house. After her death in 1989, the family finally took down the, the billboard. Now, the surviving sons are children, joined by their own children, continue to publicize the case and investigate leads. They, along with older Fayetteville residents, theorized the Sicilian Mafia was trying to extort money from George, and children may have been taken by somebody who knew about the planned arson said they'd be safe if they left the house. They were possibly sent back to Italy. Well, the... Um, Now, of course, opinion is divided. There are those who believe the children certainly died in the fire. However, there is no evidence of that. And without evidence, um, it's impossible to say one way or the other. Well, on that note, we come to the end of today's show. We'll be back and talk about more Christmas-related incidents tomorrow. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.